0: Amen. Turn in those Bibles in the pew in front of you or the chair in front of you, uh, if you would, or your own copy to 2 Samuel. We're looking at 2 Samuel 11 and 12 today on page uh, 263 in that black Bible. If you don't have a copy of your own, if you want a copy of of your own, you take that one if you would. And as we, we do, we're walking through the whole story of reality today. We're coming to the end of David's ministry. Last time we looked at the beginning of David's ministry, In uh, His anointing, and today we're looking at at sort of the... uh, Actually, it's a midpoint, a turning point in His ministry. It's our last sermon in this particular section as we walk through Genesis all the way to to Revelation. But as we do, I want to uh, just share a passage of Scripture with you before we get to 2 Samuel. It says this in Proverbs 4.23 on the screen. Guard your heart. Guard your heart above all else. For it determines the course of your life. All your motivations, your will, your intentions, your desires, they all start in your heart. And that's where the decisions and the intentions and the actions of your life are played out. And they begin here, but they're played out in life, it determines the course of your life. It is the wellspring of life. And so when we think about life and what really matters in life, all that really matters can be summed up and reduced to a simple sort of reality. We're looking at the whole story of reality, but it can be summed up into this one simple reality. What does God think about what I'm doing? and what I've done? What does God think about what I'm doing and what I've done? You see, if we could go back and, and redo our lives, relive our lives, most of us would change some things. What, would, what one thing would you change? or What one day would you change in your life? Most of us would not change something good that happened and make it even better. Most of us would go back and try to correct the mistake that we would made long ago and been suffering some consequences because of it. Now, some of us don't have those huge mistakes in our lives, but most of us have something that we can look back toward and say, I wish that were different. I would have done that differently now. Maybe it's on the other side of knowing Jesus. I would have done that very differently. David would look back at his life and he would look back and I can summarize what he would change in one word. One name. Bathsheba. When we think of David, we think of David and Goliath. That's the highlight of his life. The victory, the great victory in his life. Even if you don't go to church much, you know about David and Goliath. It's You learned as you learned in life group today, it's more than just an underdog defeating a giant. It's what God was doing through David to bring about his victory that's so important in that story. But when you look at the low light of his life, the low point of his life that we're at age 50 for David, and he's been ruling and reigning as a king for about 20 years or so, Everything seems to be going so great in his kingdom. Second Samuel all the way through chapter 10. David's batting a thousand. He never loses a battle. He is empowered by God. It is obvious that God is with him. This little runt of the litter that we looked at last week has become, become this great warrior. And he is responsible for the... Israeli economy humming. He's responsible for its expansion. The, the unemployment rate is virtually zero. He's asking the Lord, what do I do next? He's inquiring of God. And everybody knows that the Lord's hand is on him. He's the number one songwriter. He's the number one warrior king. And literally, he's got the whole world the whole kingdom at his feet. He's on top of the roof about age 50 and sees a 20-year-old, 20-something, bathing in the afternoon. Ancient virgin of looking at pornography. We don't know. There's no indication that Bathsheba puts herself out there at all That would have been a normal time for women to bathe because the men were supposed to be off at war. Off at least in the field and not around the household. So she's probably in the courtyard and David is on the top of his roof looking down at his kingdom and he sees this beautiful woman. Unusually beautiful. Exceptionally beautiful. In our terminology, smoking hot. And she's stark naked. And he stares. He watches. From that look, lust develops. And from that lust, a plan. From that plan, he abuses his authority as king. And the ESV says he takes her for his own and he sleeps with her. And a situation arises, an unplanned pregnancy. And he begins a cover-up. And his life begins to spiral downward from that day on. We're going to look at some more details of this situation. But it becomes a virtual soap opera. His family life, one of his sons rapes one of his daughters, and another son kills that son, and that son wants to take over the kingdom. And it's a mess! And how did they get there? How did they get from being all of who God wanted him to be, a man after his own heart to a man whose heart has been broken, a man whose heart has been destroyed by the ravages of sin. This little humble shepherd boy who was so in love with the Lord has become an invincible king, or so he thinks. does whatever he wants to, whenever he wants to. And we can identify at times very closely with the way we live our own lives. So would you look with me at this case, this one case? Because Here's what it says in 1 Kings 5, or 15, 5 about David at the end of his life. For David had done what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and had obeyed the Lord's commands throughout his life. And here's what he would take back, I'm convinced, except in the affair concerning Uriah the Hittite. And if you know that affair, Uriah's wife is Bathsheba. So let's look at that briefly. From Second Samuel eleven, in the spring of the year, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word? In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace, and as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath, and he sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And then David sent messengers to get her. He took her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. And she had just completed the purification rites after her menstrual period, and then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. We're going to stop the reading right there. I hope you'll continue to look at this a little bit later, but we're going to talk about the cover-up in just a second. Let's pray before we do. Father, teach us. What does this have to do with us? Teach us, Lord, how to deal with temptation. And Father, show us what we do when we've blown it. In your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen. We come to this place, and I know as we deal with this whole topic and issue and story in the Scripture that there's folks who whether it's adultery or not, dealt with other sort of things that have just ravaged their lives. I know that. I know that full well. So we come to the end with hope. Know that. That's where we're going. But before we get to the hope part, we've got to see how we got to where we are. And the first Spiritual principle I want you to see from the story of David and Bathsheba is this, that sin destroys your life and the lives of other people. See, it's not just David who's on that rooftop and whose life is going to be destroyed, but it's Bathsheba's and her marriage and she laments the loss of her husband Uriah later on, so we know it's destroyed her life and her marriage as well. And then David and sheba have a baby, and that baby's going to die as part of the judgment of what's going on here. And then Uriah is going to die as well, and we'll come back to him in just a second. But Uriah is not the only one, only soldier on the field that dies that day. There are others in Uriah's company when the the, uh, the troops are drawn back who die also. Uriah dies, this just, innocent, undeserving soldier, who was a foreigner, a Hittite who became a faithful Israelite, dies because of David's sin. You see that? It not only affected David, but many others around him. Sometimes we think, well, it's not going to hurt anybody but myself, and then I can deal with this. We buy into the lie, and David bought into the lie that day. that We can win the sin game. That it's not going to be that big a deal. We're just going to take a little look. We're just going to wander here or there. We're just going to mess around with this a little bit. We can stop at any time. We can pull back at any time. We can deal with temptation on our own and on our own strength. Folks, let me tell you, everybody in this place has lost that game. We all are losers in the sin game. And the sin in our lives is the, are the things that destroy us. And you might think you're kind of righteous because of some good things you've done, but the Scripture tells us there's no one righteous in comparison to God. We can't have a relationship with God apart from the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so when we look at Uriah, Uriah is a picture of Jesus who died innocently on our behalf, who took our place. David comes to that conclusion that somebody's got to die For his sin, and so he has this plot and plan first and foremost, this cover up his own sin. And so he says, uh, call for your ride. Bring him back from the battlefield. He was one of David's 30 men. He's kind of like a, just imagine this, He's, he's kind of like a Navy SEAL. He's one of David's mighty men. And David calls him back from the battle that was raging at Rabbah. He begins to ask him questions like, well, how's the battle going? Can't you imagine this warrior Uriah saying, why in the world did you call me back? I want to be out there with my, my comrades in arms. I want to be out there fighting for my country, my nation, my God, Israel. Why did you call me back to ask me these little questions? And we learn that David's trying to make it seem as though Uriah was the one who laid with his wife, and the baby that is forming within her because she's pregnant is his baby. And so he tries to trick Uriah to sleep with his own wife in such a fashion so that no one would know. But God knows. He knows what's happened in our lives, He knows our sin, He knows our heart. And Here's the great thing. He's already made provision for it. He covered it with His precious blood. So we don't have to cover our sin anymore. What we cover, God exposes. And what we expose, God heals. God covers with His blood, the precious blood of Jesus. And so, as we think about how sin destroys, we see all of that going on here. And we know there's a reason that David is in the spot he's in. And that's the second thing I want you to see in this spiritual reality. Boredom kills our soul. Why does David stay home? I don't know fully, but it may have been his age. He's now 50. 50 year old warrior kings don't make such great warriors. If you're 50 or older, just raise your hand for just a moment. You know, I am. You creak out of bed, don't you, sometimes. You, You just feel your bones at times. You know you can't go on the battlefield quite as powerfully as you once went. Maybe that's the reason. But whatever the reason, he loses his purpose. He loses his focus. He loses his calling and his leadership by not going when other kings go out to battle in the spring, I can just see the Israeli inquire headlines. Kings fling in the spring is revealed. Doesn't that sound horrible? You think about what's going on. He stayed home and sent somebody else in his place to do his fighting. So here's the key don't disengage from the battle. Stay engaged wherever you are in life. Sometimes we get to a point in life we think, well, we're empty nesters so we don't have to be involved in youth ministry anymore. Or, or we've, we've done our time in VBS so we're not going to do that anymore. We're tired. Well, Folks, don't quit with your purpose. There's still a, a way to be involved whether it's through prayer, whether it's through generosity. Don't quit with the mission, the purpose that God has placed, the calling God has placed on your life wherever you are at this stage in your life. He's still got plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and to hope. And he's got plans even in the midst of David's failures for him. And one of the plans he has for him in his failures is to tell other people, transgressors, Psalm 51 says, about his mistakes. And people, don't you realize when we have blown it that there are other people around us who have blown it and they can identify with us more in our sin than they can in our success. And so you find people who are dealing and struggling with certain areas and you come as a spokesperson for the Lord in those areas and he's experienced somebody who's been broken by sin in those areas and you do what God calls you to do in those specific areas and as we we think about what's going on with David, it's boredom, I think. It's not so much his desire for Bathsheba and a young, beautiful woman. He could have had any woman in the kingdom. He's lost his purpose and his focus his desire to do what the Lord wants him to do. So, as we look at this a little closer, here's the third thing of spiritual truth I want you to take from this and, and that's this. Temptation must be avoided, not resisted. Don't put yourself on the roof. Don't put yourself in that situation. If you're struggling with alcohol, hey, don't build a house next to the liquor store. That just makes sense, doesn't it? There was a man who went to his doctor and said, I broke my arm in two places. And the doctor said, well, quit going to those places. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? So it's easier to avoid temptation than it is to resist temptation. Don't see how close, young people especially, don't see how close you can come to temptation and resist it. See how far away you can stay from it. Flee from it. If at all possible, don't put yourself in that situation. That means some of you have really got to get a handle on your computer and your cell phone and all of what goes on and what goes into your head and your mind and all of what becomes before your eyes. Because you can't deal with it. You've got to have some accountability in it. And the truth is that you'd be surprised, real surprised at the folks who struggle, not just men, but women as well, who struggle with pornography in our midst, in the church. We've got to do something about that because it's destroying our lives and our church and our witness and our hearts. We've got to trust God to do something in and through us that we cannot do for ourselves and that's grace folks paul says in first corinthians ten thirteen, the temptations of your life are no different from what others experienced isn't that true and god is faithful he will not allow you to be uh, allow the temptation to be more than you can stand and when you are tempted he will show you a way out so that you can endure it so you'd be looking not for the temptation not to resist the temptation you look for For the way out to avoid it, to run from it, to flee from it as soon as possible. Get yourself out of that situation. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, if your head is made of butter, stay away from the fire. (laughs) So how you doing? Don't resist. A void. So what happens to David? You remember? Back to the story. He has Uriah executed at the hands of the Ammonites. A year goes by. And he thinks he's gotten away with all of it. Then God shows up. In the form of a prophet named Nathan. God sends him. I don't know how God revealed David's sin to Nathan. Maybe it was a dream. Maybe it was a vision he talked to him like that before. That's how God spoke to prophets often. Or maybe it was just Nathan noticing David and the change in his behavior. Nathan noticing Bathsheba now around the palace. I don't know. But I know he knew. And I know God sent him to David and I know He gave him a word to David that penetrated the heart that was becoming callous, a heart that was after God's own heart that was turning away from him. David was losing his song in in many ways. And and God in His grace sends Nathan. Remember? Remember how he, He tells him a story. There's a rich man, there's a poor man. The rich man had all these herds and all these flocks and the poor man had just one little lamb. And that little lamb ate with them and slept with them, and that little lamb was like a daughter to them. And the rich man, when he had a traveler, instead of taking from his abundance all of what he had, he took that one little lamb from the poor man, fed it to his visitor. David's anger is kindled. He's furious. That man deserves to die. He doesn't realize that he's pronounced upon himself what he had done to Uriah. Uriah carried his own death warrant back in the battle and David speaks his own death warrant right then. And then Nathan in the clearest application of a sermon that's ever been done says, you're the man. You're the man. It's you. And David still has that heart. And he responds. He comes clean. I did it. He confesses. There's more to it. I don't have time to share all of it. But just know this. That could be you. There was a time later on when we realized David is not the The king we all were looking for. The people of God recognize that. He's not the perfect king. There's a king to come that we look to. His name is Jesus. The son of David. It was said of David, you are the man. And it was said of Jesus, behold the man. Pilate says that right before he goes to the cross. And I've wondered many times, what would would Jesus think of David? In his sin, murder and adultery with Bathsheba. I don't know exactly, but we get a picture in John 8 of what Jesus thought and how he dealt with a woman who's caught in adultery, remember? He says to all those who would accuse her, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Remember that? None of them condemned her. and He has an interaction with her. And he says to her, Has any condemned you? No one, she says. And he says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The order on that is so important. Because the power to overcome sin and the power to deal with our failures has to come from the fact that he has not condemned us. He has paid Our debt. And we can deal with our failures because we know that the power to deal with our failures comes from the fact that He has paid for our debt already. He wants us to walk in His holiness, His righteousness, to do the things that are right in His own eyes, but He gives us the strength to do it because He doesn't condemn us. He forgives us first. And then He says. Go and sin no more. As we end this time together, I wonder if there's somebody in this place who needs to experience the power of the forgiveness of God. We're going to sing about His amazing grace in just a second. And I want more than anything for people who haven't experienced His amazing grace this day to experience that. And if you've already experienced that, I hope you'll... you are wash anew in that fountain of amazing grace. So new that you're ready and willing to share it with other people who need to know God's forgiveness. God wants to do some great things. He's got to get us on His course. What is it in your life that keeps you from being on that course? Busyness? Busyness? Kids, other commitments, loneliness, boredom, whatever it is, would you deal with it right now as we sing amazing grace. The worship team is going to come up. You just pray for just a second as they come. Pray with me. Father, here we are, Lord, knowing that we... Want a heart like yours. I think David had when he was a young boy. But no one that the struggles of life and the heartaches of life and the disappointments of life, disappointments from every body we think in every area of our lives our bosses, our parents, our spouses, our pastors, our everybody. One time or another have disappointed us like David disappointed you. Everybody but one. It's you, Jesus. So we trust you now, Lord. For those of us who've made that commitment already, we trust you still. To live the abundant life you called us to. Seeking and inquiring. What do you want us to do, Lord? For those who've never experienced that, never entered into a personal relationship with you, Jesus, would today be the day that they say, Yes, I know I need him. I know I need you, Lord. I believe. You died on that cross to forgive me. And I choose this day, this day to follow you best I can. In your holy name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.